This is the Pariah Podcast, episode number 21, Insight and Disappointment, written and read by me, Philip Carroll. Keel made it back to the mess hall as his company marched in from the training ranges. He quietly filled into his place in the core formation and followed the line into the mess hall without making a fuss about any special privileges. Keo sat with some of the other trainees from the 4th Corps and said little, taking in what it was like to be an ordinary trainee for the first time. He kept an eye out for Crystal, but never saw her enter or exit the mess hall. With his crutch under his arm, he worked his way to the back door and dropped his plate on a table on his way out. Core leader Spinebeck stood in the center of the walkway, directly out the door, talking with the core leader from the second corps. She looked up as Keo approached and with mild surprise said, Oh, hello, trainee Noshane. She turned back to her conversation. Core leader Spinebeck, I don't mean to interfere, but may I have a word with you, if not now, later this evening at the company area? She looked at the second corps leader, who shrugged and walked away. Crystal said, I guess you may. Can I ask if something's wrong? I mean, I know the relationships people had at the egg camp were temporarily influenced by the swamp. But I thought we had something extra there. Something which built upon the friendship we had grown over the past year. We did, Keo, and it was wonderful at camp. We had something I never thought I would experience in my life, but then I found my egg. She stroked the egg, which hung in the sling in front of her belly, as if it were a baby within her that she carried. When I found my egg, everything else disappeared. I realized relationships with other humans can only be a passing thing when compared to the bond I feel with my creature. I'm sorry. I don't want to have to choose between you and my egg, with anyone and my egg. There would be no choice. I have to go with my egg. She was sincere, speaking of her love for the creature. Keo understood that from having his own egg in a sling. But below that emotion was a fear barely subjugated and boiling, threatening to push through, a fear that by creating any kind of emotional bond with another, she would fracture what she had with her egg, and she would be lost. So much had happened to her as a little girl. For Crystal to build an emotional base with room for more than herself and another person looked beyond her mental capacity. She didn't want to push her tenuous support structure and bring it tumbling down. She was dealing with it as best she could. Okay, Keo said, maybe we can be friends again, after your egg hatches. Even that looked like it was too much as he felt her weak emotional floor begin to slip under the pressure of her buried doubt. I'm sorry I said that. You have your egg. It's there for you and you for it. You'll be fine if you keep that in mind, Keo said in a rush, hoping to reinforce her defenses. See you again sometime. He hurried away, though from all the walking he had done that day, his body felt as if it would give out if he pushed it any longer. The daily walks up and down the halls of the healer's ward 
were no comparison to crossing the training area of the battalion several times that day. If he hadn't felt Crystal's eyes on his back, he would have sat in the dirt where he was, but pushed on toward the barracks. Two days later, when he met with Sergeant Nightsong, he was only just beginning to feel his stride with some comfort. Sergeant Nightsong sat at one of the tables with another sergeant from the training staff. Keel, this is Sergeant Quayler. I asked him if he would observe to take note of anything we might do or say while entranced. She stood. What's wrong, Keo? You do not want Quayler here? Keo shuffled over and dropped into a chair opposite the two. No, it's not that at all, Sergeant. I thought I would be feeling a lot stronger by now, and it hadn't occurred to me there would be an emotional recovery as well. Keo told the sergeants about Corps Leader Spinebeck. Each person reacts a little differently than all others when it comes to their relationship with their egg, Nightsong said. Yeah, that's what the Malcourts said. They would know they've taken more battalions to the egg hunt than anyone else. But what about you, Keo? I see Crystal's reaction was an emotional shock to you. Rejection, for whatever reason, always is. Do you feel up to the exercise we planned for today? Yeah, I dealt with my feelings about her for weeks now. I'd like to say I'm over it, though it does still hurt a bit that she never came to see me in the healer's ward. Girls I'd never even spoken to came to visit me there, but not her, not once. Sergeant Nightsong gave him an understanding smile. I'd say you're not over it yet. If you think you can control your thoughts enough to not run back to that emotion every time we turn around, we could try and continue. You read me like a book, Keo said. Yes, let's try this. Let's get to your memory of the egg camp and the vision of your creature first. They sat across a table from one another and closed their eyes. Quailer sat at a separate table, quill poised above parchment. Diffuse light came from the only windows, set in the northern-facing wall. Nightsong's ermine swan stretched out in the dry grass outside the windows. They turned their thoughts toward the creature, but before they had even reached it, they were within each other's minds, watching Keo's memories unfold like the actions of the performers on an outdoor stage. Keo pushed through the images of the days at camp to find where he was assaulted. When he progressed from one thought to another, he felt the sergeant following along, as if guided through a dark building only he was familiar with. They came to the fight, which ended quickly, as the attackers carried him out into the mud and cast him in face first. Even with Sergeant Nightsong standing right next to him in his mind, the memories were incredibly real, and Keo had difficulty drawing breath as he re-experienced his slow suffocation. Then his creature, the woman, appeared, wet with oily mud, and strode toward him with smooth, effortless steps. I need a break, Sergeant Nightsong's words pulled Keo from the vision. In a blink, he was back in the sergeant's classroom. Her normally dark complexion was gray, and sweat beaded her forehead and cheeks. You poor boy, what a horrific experience. I saw them all before they hooded themselves. 
I can stand as witness against them, if you wish. No, it's past now. Let's move forward. Can you tell me what else you saw? I saw the girl, Kayleen, following the boys. It was Kayleen who had written the claim against you and gotten you into trouble before. This time she followed, hiding, not to be seen by the boys, and Nick, he followed from a distance. It was he who called the alarm. Yes, but what about the vision? Did you see my creature? I think I did, but not clearly. Following you into the mud, I saw darkness when you were thrown in. I could feel your body's loss of air and your mind beginning to fail. Your creature spoke to you, but it was on a different level than what your senses perceived. It spoke with compassion, and its voice was pitched like a woman's, but I could neither see nor hear her clearly. I'm sorry. Keo sighed and rested his forehead on the table. It was cool and relaxing. When he looked back up, Sergeant Nightsong was composed again. Shall we take a look into my head? she asked. They relinked their minds, and the sergeant invited Keo into her memory of the capital when she was young and had first come to the king's service. Why didn't she stay in the mountains with her family? She was well out of the kingdom's reach. She was young and slender, tall and dark, unlike anyone the people of Hender's Peak had ever seen. They stared unabashedly at the alien visitor. She strode through the streets with confidence, a bow across her back and a slender elfin blade at her hip. Many years' worth of memories fluttered past like autumn leaves on a whirlwind until they settled in a dark room, warm and dry, with leather-bound sheaves of parchment stacked one on another. The writing of the covers was old and difficult for Keo to decipher, though some words were familiar. One book stood out above the rest, its title ornately worked into the thick leather cover, History of the Creatures, Obligations, Perceptions, and Ninths. The young night song opened the book and leafed through pages, reading some and skipping others. Her memory slowed and remained on a page. Colored illuminations adorned the top two colors, and between them, in large ornate cursive, were the words thirds, sixths, and ninths. Keo quickly read the words recorded below. When the third flies high, and the sixth the more, yet highest will the ninth be born. For great shall thirds and sixths be known, but all will of the ninth be grown. And at her height among the stars, and counting them with all of ours, the world rebuilds when grown apart, and binds without the smithy's arts. In solitude and obscurity she primes the roots of humanity." Keo bent over the book, barely taking in the words, struggling to hold onto each. From outside the dream, he heard Sergeant Nightsong speak. Keo, focus on the words. Ignore everything else around you. Now, read them out loud, with your real voice. Start slowly and read carefully, enunciating each word. Keo did so, and when he had completed the paragraph, he found himself across the table from Sergeant Nightsong. Sergeant Quayler approached the table and laid a piece of linen parchment between them. The words of the prophecy inked onto the parchment. 
following her memory in the library in Henders Peak, had been very successful. On the other hand, when they attempted to reach through the shell to Keo's creature within, they failed profoundly. Though Sergeant Nightsong was able to hear some of the tapping, chirping sounds which Keo could, it gave no clues to the nature of the creature within. Keo walked with Sergeant Nightsong through the parade grounds between the classrooms and the dining hall. See? The prophecy says the third and the sixth fly, and the ninth flies the highest of them all. And how am I supposed to fly if I don't get a tiger hawk, the best of all the flying creatures? Yes, Keo, but there are an awful lot of other references there as well. You can't just read the first line of a prophecy and think you understand it. There were also references to stars and counting them, the world growing apart and rebuilding not to mention solitude and obscurity. And who knows what these words meant at the time they were written. I would guess the prophecy was written over a thousand years ago. I'll make a copy of what Sergeant Quayler recorded, and I'll send it to you so you can read it and meditate on it. Think back on my memory and see if it all stays together as you see it. Thanks, Sergeant. You've been a big help. Can I ask you a personal question? Maybe. That depends on how personal, she smiled. Thinking back on the first memory you showed me when you left your home in the mountains, and then this one of you walking into the capital, people stared at you. People here stare at you sometimes and talk about you, making guesses about you. Doesn't that bother you? It did. In fact, it did bother me quite a bit for the first years, even though I knew I had a destiny of my own. When I got here, it was better. Everyone here knows why I am here, so my unique abilities are not such a surprise, and most of the people I work with are 15 years old and have fewer learned prejudices. Before it's all over, I wouldn't be surprised if you have some experiences like that as well. Are you prophesying now, Sergeant Nightsong? Maybe, she said and went her own way. By the autumn equinox, Keo was walking without his crutch and keeping pace with the rest of the corps. Little changed in their training as their eggs grew in size. They had learned in their classes that no one had ever cut open an egg, but observation of them showed, and the consensus believed that the shell itself was very thick when the egg was first found, and that as it stretched it became thinner, and the creature within grew. Possibly nutrients were also taken from the thick leathery shell, thinning it more until it hardened into a thin and brittle shell capable of cracking open about one year after it was pulled from the swamp. Though the egg was no heavier than when it was first found, the increased size made it more awkward and the trainees were less likely to participate in activities which would put their eggs at risk. One advantage Keo found in being just one of the ordinary trainees was that girls were much more willing to flirt with him, knowing he had no position of authority to get either of them in trouble. There were a number of girls he had gotten to know who were more than happy to exchange back and shoulder rubs and even an occasional kiss. He no longer had the shoulders of a hard-worked farm boy, but since the attack, he was able to build them back up 
to the point of a well-muscled creature handler. His swordsmanship skills had also deteriorated through lack of use and a right wrist which wasn't as supple as it used to be and a knee which kept him from maneuvering smoothly. Instructors at the various classrooms assured the trainees that after their creatures were hatched and more independent, they would all return to much more rigid training than they were experiencing this year. Throughout the winter, Keo had turned to the prophecy and read it again to see if he could find some hidden meaning within the words. He returned to Sergeant Nightsong to see if there was any way to cross-reference the short passage with anything else which may have been written on the subject. She didn't know any more about it, as she'd only come upon the reference by accident. It stayed in her mind because it made the only mention of Ninth she had ever seen. Keo spent some time in the camp library, but found nothing related to it. In fact, there was nothing in the library over a few hundred years old. He would have to wait until he was in the capital for some reason, though that would do him little good now. As the spring equinox approached, the emotions and excitement of the trainees was almost frenetic. Roommates who had never spoken a harsh word were at each other's throats. Those trainees, who were unable to get along and resolve their differences, were traded between corps and companies. On the other hand, some found it difficult to control their attraction to others. Keo was surprised to see Crystal hanging on the arm of a designate third corps leader from the A Company. Keo felt the stirring of his creature within the egg and spent extra time trying to communicate with his unhatched companion. One afternoon... He was sitting in the anteroom to the barracks, with his egg on the table before him, concentrating on it, imagining a small tiger hawk curled inside. He bolstered the egg with his hands to keep it from rolling off the unleveled table when Bree walked in from down the hall and sat with him. Hi, Keo, she said. She sounded worn out. He smiled and waggled his eyebrows. Think about it. It should only be another week, and we'll all be on to a new part of the camp and a new part of our lives. Bree took her egg from its sling, sat back with it on her lap, and closed her eyes. I can't wait to be nobody again. Bree's egg was slightly smaller than Keo's and off-white with brown speckles on it. I never noticed your egg has freckles, Keo said. Are you looking for a fight, farm boy? She asked. A whip of steel flashed as she opened her eyes and squinted at him. No, if I'd said that to you two years ago when I first saw you, maybe. I'd never seen so many freckles on a single person before. Thanks a lot. I didn't realize you thought I was so ugly, she said, and stroked her egg gently with her fingertips. I'm sorry, Bree, Keo said. It's okay. I know you're just teasing. I'm sorry I didn't see sooner how much I would love each of those freckles, Keo said, blushing a bit. You don't know how badly I hope we will be able to get to know each other better in our new units. I think we probably know each other well enough, Bree said and stood. She put her egg into its sling. Keo swallowed. He was hearing different emotions from her voice than from her mind. He caressed his egg as he slid it into the sling as well. Bree walked over to where Keo sat 
and pushed the table out of the way and sat on Kyo's lap, facing him. She pushed her egg sling to one side and Kyo's to the other so that she could lean her chest against his and look him in the eyes as their noses touched. He found she had grown in the last year into a much more mature woman and into a more aggressive leader. "'What do you mean when you say you love my freckles?' she asked, keeping her voice serious. "'I mean,' he said, sliding his arm around her. One had to pass between the egg sling. "'I love every freckle, and I could kiss each one of them like this.' He kissed her on her cheek, just below her left eye. "'And like this,' he kissed her on her right jaw. "'And like this,' he kissed her on her left earlobe and sucked on it, holding it within his teeth, he said. "'And some of them I could eat, like this.' He chewed on her earlobe, and she shivered. Sitting on his lap, as she was, Keo tried to find other ways to make her shiver. She was in the mood, so it wasn't difficult. Keo realized how it must look to other trainees to have their core leader sitting on his lap, so he asked, "'Aren't you worried Gorley might come in here? We could get in big trouble.' "'Hmm.' Bree murmured as she ran her fingers through his hair and kissed him on the bridge of the nose, then licked between his eyes with the tip of her tongue and up his forehead. Keo cleared his throat. But then, I can't think of the last time he came through the company, except for morning and evening inspections. Observant, empathic genius, she said, teasing him. The company commanders told all of the corps leaders a few weeks ago they would back off and give us some room. They've left me totally in charge during the day. I have authority to confine someone to their room if they're causing trouble or command them to set up a tent in the grass between the inspection grounds and the dining facility and spend their nights sleeping on the dirt. You can see how many are living out there right now. We were told to separate those who are fighting and ignore those who are doing otherwise. You're not ignoring me. Kyo said. That's because you are doing otherwise. I'll ignore whomever I wish, she said. Well, I have a number of freckles I haven't kissed yet, Kyo said. They can wait, Bree said and kissed him on the mouth. He felt odd with the girl on his lap kissing him, but he liked it too. He loved her and wished time would stop and they could remain where they were for the rest of their lives. To the leadership, the morning inspection seemed to be the most important part of the day. Anyone absent from the formation would need a very good excuse, such as being confined to the healer's ward or on some other important business for the lieutenant. Failure to be present would result in comparatively severe punishment. Five days before the spring equinox, the trainees found out why. As the sun rose, the company was in formation, giving a report when someone in the middle of the third corps screamed. A general murmur arose around the trainee, and Lieutenant Gorley stomped over to see what was wrong. Before any word came from the third corps, someone in the fourth, just down from Keo, shouted, My egg! It's cracking! Military control collapsed as rank and file folded in on the person who shouted. 
as if the first creature which hatched sent the message to the other creatures that their time had now come. A wave of shouts echoed around the parade grounds, spread out from the first as the eggs began to hatch. Soon, enthusiastic cheers rose throughout the battalion inspection grounds. Cheers rose and bedlam ensued as more and more of the eggs cracked. Keo worked his way to the outside of the press to see more clearly what was happening. Bree was there suddenly. Her beautiful smile spread across her face. Today's the day. Everything changes now. Keo wrapped his arms around her and kissed her. Holding her tightly to him, he looked into her eyes and could think of nothing appropriate to say, so he kissed her again. The eggs seemed to be communicating with each other, and the hatching went in waves. At times, silence reigned as none were hatching. Then, without any warning, ten or more cracked in one area, while others more distant stood and watched. All the leaders from the training over the previous two years gathered to the company areas to witness the hatching, including the battalion commander and both the camp commander and her deputy commander. The cooking crew from the mess hall brought food out onto temporary tables set up on the assembly area in front of the dining hall. Inside, tables were cleared for examination of the newly hatched creatures. Thick, soft wool and linen sheets draped the tables. The trainees brought their newly hatched creatures into the mess hall and had them weighed, measured, and recorded by the camp creature registrar. Orders were written by the battalion staff, signed by Captain Braitford, and countersigned by the deputy camp commander. Each trainee was then directed to their new duty station, where they would find fellow creature handlers of their companion type of differing ages and experience. Keo and Bree walked quietly around the company area, side by side, almost overcome in anticipation of when their own eggs would crack to reveal their life companions. Lunch passed, and more than half of the battalion was gone. While they waited, most of the trainees packed their few belongings in preparation for the transfer. Sergeant Nightsong found Keo and Bree in the mid-afternoon. Don't worry, she told them. In my twenty years, I've never heard of a single egg not hatching. Some come very late in the afternoon. Maybe try sitting in the mess hall by the fire. I don't know how true it is but some believe it will bring on hatching. Nick waited in the anteroom of the barracks to clasp forearms with each of his link members when they packed their belongings and left to find their new duty units. One less person to concern himself with, and more time he could focus his attention on the entire reason he was in the camp, to find Keo's weaknesses and to prepare to destroy him. The oracles had told him, First would come the egg and the creature. Then he would destroy his friend. The time quickly approached. The anxiety which had rumbled at the foundation of his awareness since finding his egg rose to its full height now that the day had arrived. Other eggs had grown to twice their original size. Nick's had grown at first, but then stopped. The glossy shell turned chalky and brown, and he hadn't heard a sound from within nor felt the empathic inkling from the creature. Would this egg bear a creature with which he would have an empathic bond? Or 
Would it, as he feared, turn out to be a fluke that he had stumbled across the egg, and now it would reveal nothing inside the shell but stone or muck? Had the egg stopped growing because the creature inside had died? If he had retrieved an egg belonging to someone else, would that creature hate him or turn away from him in search of its true companion? Keo and Bree passed the barracks at a distance, headed toward the mess hall where many of the trainees had gathered around the hearths, hoping to encourage their eggs to hatch. Nick would wait where he was, ready to slip away in the dark if his egg opened to reveal nothing but his own dark secrets. A vibration near his elbow caught Nick's attention, then a pinch, like someone had snapped a twig against his arm. His egg was hatching. In shock, Nick lowered the sling to the ground and pushed back the material to expose the egg. At the center of a small crack, a tiny hooked claw poked through and worked side to side to enlarge the opening. Surface tension gave way and the crack shot around the egg. The two pieces fell open, revealing a solid black creature, which spread its black wings shakily to the air. Nick didn't recognize the small round head of the kitten-like creature. He'd studied as hard as the other trainees during their creature identification class. Most illustrations only showed adult creatures. Its golden eyes stared at him knowingly. Unlike the hollow, empty eyes of the oracles or master fungus with his cloudy cataracts, the creature's bright eyes were filled with intelligence and recognition. Nick's creature knew him and loved him. Unable to contain his excitement, Nick ran from the barracks to the mess hall to the creature recorders. A broad grin stretched across his face. The creature licked its leg to clean away albumen left from the egg. Nick gasped. My creature hatched. Yes, that's clear, a female recorder replied with a smile, having heard the same declaration countless times that day, but not wanting to squash the trainee's excitement. It looks like another black lion. That's what, the third one so far today? She asked a fellow worker. Yeah, I think so, he replied. Same with the goldens and spotteds. But only two of the main lions. He measured and weighed the small creature. The first recorder was busy writing on a small piece of parchment. She handed the stub to Nick. Take this to assignments, and they'll write out your orders and tell you where to find your barracks. In a daze, Nick wandered across the building to another line of tables where clerks wrote out and copied orders for the trainees' new assignments. By dinner time, only fifty or so trainees remained. Keo thought maybe sitting by the fire might do some good. As they found chairs and sat, Bree said, Ooh! She held up the egg. Now the size of a medium-sized watermelon, it had a crack halfway around its circumference, one-third the way from the point. Keo held his breath as Bree cradled the egg in her lap. With a dull pop, the crack extended all the way around, and part of the shelf fell away, revealing orange and black fuzz. Keo, she gasped. It's a tiger hawk, Keo finished for her. The shell peeled away to reveal the tiger kitten, half the size of a full-grown normal cat, its downy pre-feathers identical to its short fur. Get some wipes, Keo said, 
dragging a metal tin closer on the table. Bree placed the wobbly kitten on the table and stroked it with the absorbent cloth from the tin. The wipe dripped sharp-smelling antiseptic liquid made from the bark of a windover tree. The little creature purred at Bree's touch. Kia was sure Bree purred as well, and for a moment he was jealous of the pure love he saw in her eyes for the creature. It's beautiful, Bree. I can't think of any other way to describe it. Bree looked up at Keo and nodded her head, unable to bring words to her mouth. Tears of joy brimmed in her eyes. Keo's anger flared at the interference when a sergeant from the registrar's office intruded to take down vital information. Bree's name and company. He had Bree place the creature on a handheld scale and weighed it. With a flexible tape, he measured its length and the circumference of its chest. I'll give this to the registrar, and the battalion should issue you orders soon. The tiny tiger hawk seemed more balanced already and licked at the fur and pre-feathers of its chest. Talk to it, Bree, Keo said, itching to do the same. It would be a major breach of etiquette for him to speak to it first, or even at all at this point. Okay, she said, and brought her nose down close to the creature. Hello, I'm your companion, Bree said in a tiny, childlike voice. The creature stopped its licking, looked up into Bree's eyes, and licked her nose with its scratchy tongue before going back to cleaning itself. Keo sat back, happy for his friend and still in anticipation for his own tiger hawk. Before he knew it, Bree was going. A quick hug and a kiss on his cheek, Bree waved goodbye with the parchment, assigning her to the Tiger Hawk Training Corps. Creature Handler Trainee, First Class Bree Oakley, Keo said and waved her goodbye as well. Keo sat by the fire in the mess hall until the last of the creature handlers received their orders and left. It was dark outside, and the few sergeants who remained tried not to look at him with pity. Most avoided looking at him at all. He hadn't heard anything from his egg all day. Typically, the thing chirped and popped continuously, but now, like the other people in the room, it was silent. He sat by himself from three until two before midnight, before standing and announcing to the rest of the mostly sleeping clerical staff, I'm going to bed. Maybe it's off by a day. He left the silent mess hall and walked across the dark inspection grounds to the single light burning at the door to his barracks. He walked down the empty hall past the first room, the last Bree had used. Too dark to see inside, still, he pictured his many happy days there, then Bree's. Her face floated before him down the dark empty hall, her smile and her eyes looking down at the unseen creature in her imagined arms. He missed her already. He missed the lively activity of the barracks, which just this morning was busy and enthusiastic. He found his room and made his way through the familiar dark to the tinderbox on the table beside his bed. The lantern glowed a weakly assuring yellow on the white walls of the room. He took the egg and placed it in the glass bowl in the wooden frame. The egg barely fit the bowl without touching the sides. It was larger than any other egg he had seen in the battalion. Maybe that was the problem, like those babies who grew too big for their mother's bellies, who when they were grown were dull and simple. 
Maybe his creature, too, was deformed and unable to be born. Where was his tiger hawk? Where was his destiny? Where was the confidence of the five-year-old boy who had spoken to his sister's tiger hawk? It had all left him, alone, sitting in the dark with an unhatched egg. Keo took off his woolen hose and hung them on the end of the bed to air out during the night and tried to sleep. As the hours passed, he tossed and turned so much his knee began to hurt again and the throbbing made it that much more difficult to sleep. He was considering getting out of bed and digging through the mostly packed bundle to find some of the pain-killing potion the healer had sent from the infirmary when he forgot what he was worried about and fell asleep. Thanks for listening to the Pariah Podcast. If you'd like updates on the podcast, other fiction I'm working on, or to join my monthly newsletter where you'll get a free short story from one of my environments, go to norvaljoe.com. You'll be directed from there. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.